Hey there, folks, and welcome to a special edition of uh, the HeroCast. I am Eddie Cornelison, joined, not as always, by, I don't know, should we just say John? That works. <laughs> All right. Caleb's not here. He just he's he's not cool enough to see as many movies as us, I suppose. But uh, we are here for the top ten, worst ten, worst five, whichever uh, movies of 2022. And uh, I guess uh, just some minor housekeeping from this is being recorded after our special episode where we recorded Casino Royale, but we will drop it before that, so I may make a reference to something I asked Caleb in that episode, but uh, that's all. Anyway, so we watched... uh, So I wanted to do one movie a week. So I watched 52 movies, 40 in theaters, 12 on streaming. You went way beyond that. Yeah, uh, so I have Regal Unlimited... I was at the movie theater basically any time I didn't have my daughter, which was like anywhere from three to four nights a week. I didn't go every single night that I didn't have her, but I went a lot. Um, I wound up seeing in either theaters or one film I saw actually on a college campus, um, 123 movies this year. Now, they weren't all new. Some were re-releases of some older movies. I saw like Dawn of the Dead from, uh, what is it, 1978, I want to say. I saw E.T., I saw a couple of other, like, older movies, but I also saw over a hundred new first-run movies that were released this year. Goodness. So, <laughs> so yeah, we'll, uh, I'll be interested to see how many on my list you've seen. I'm guessing probably all of them, but I do have some streaming ones. I don't know how many of the streaming ones you saw, but... We see this year where, uh, I saw almost no streaming movies. Oh, Okay. <clears throat> I've got a couple streaming think, on here. I think the whole year I saw... I mean, a, a lot of the movies that I saw in theaters eventually wound up streaming. But I think as far as, like, streaming exclusives or movies that you have that I've only seen on streaming, I think there's maybe only... I think Cyrano might be the only movie that I've actually watched only on streaming and not in the theater this year. Let me check. There was only a couple movies that were released in theaters that I ended up having to see on streaming. It was... I think Halloween ends. I didn't want to spend money on that. And um, technically, Glass oh. Onion was in theater, but uh, oops, let me turn. That yeah, off. I saw that. Yeah. yeah, it was one weekend, so I was like, eh, I couldn't make it. And then uh, Jackass Forever, I saw on streaming. The uh, the big one that I missed on streaming that I wish that I had watched this year because I've heard good things about is Pinocchio. I still haven't seen that yet. Which one? <laughs> Uh, the newest one, the Guillermo del Toro one. Okay, I thought so. All right, so um, so you said you're doing bottom five. Well, I'm trying to think how we yeah, can do uh, this. When it comes uh, to the bottom, there wasn't a lot that were really like egregiously bad this year. I feel like there were only two movies that I like, really hated and thought were really terrible. Um, beyond that, most of my bad movies are kind of just boring and forgettable. So I really focused on my top ten because that was a lot more interesting to me. But I do have some uh, pleasant surprises, some downs, some bad movies. So however you want to tackle that. Well, I'm trying to think what we did last year. I think we did um, – did we alternate? I don't remember. Uh, I think we alternated, yeah. 
I think we could we could alternate between when it comes to the top ten, but the rest of it, however you want to do it, is fine by me. All right. Well, let me do my. I'll start with the bad from ten to six. That way, then we'll be even. Um. So number ten. This is more for just trying to get the list started off with a bang. Uh, is it the tenth worst movie that I saw? Maybe. I could make an argument that it is. I could also argue a different movie. But I had to go with something, and uh, I went with Avatar Way of Water. If it was an hour shorter, which it easily could have been, I might have been okay with it. But uh, I'm just... I'm not into the Pandora. It's not. It doesn't grab me. To me, it's like if you're doing a movie about an, a faraway civilization, it's like, well, what should these people be like? Well, what if they were just blue Native Americans? And it's like, I don't. Not that I don't find the Native American culture interesting. It's just, I feel like if you were doing a movie about aliens, I don't know. I think you could come up with something than just copying a culture on Earth. But I'm not interested. Like, the CGI in 09 was very cool and groundbreaking. Today, it's nothing I haven't seen in every Marvel movie, honestly. And it's just, it's too long. Uh, it just, it felt like 2001 A Space Odyssey, where it's just constantly patting itself on the back, being like, look at these special effects. Aren't they, aren't they awesome? Aren't they cool? It's like, yeah, yeah, but, like... Why is it so long, and why is it uh, not that exciting? Like, why did we need a subplot about these whales that, like, oh, you extract these chemicals from their head, and it's worth a lot of money that that didn't go anywhere? Why did these the sons of the tribal chiefs need to argue, which didn't really go anywhere? I just, I don't know, maybe they'll do more on it in Avatar 3 and 4, but uh, if they're going to be three hours, just let me off. I'm, I'm, I'm done with the Avatar ride. I doesn't grab me too much. This might shock you, but uh, I actually completely agree. I saw it last week. It was the last movie that I saw for the year, and I was very let down by it. I didn't think it was terrible. It wasn't like a bad movie. It made enough sense. It had some moments. But I felt like it just tried too hard and then didn't go anywhere. It felt like, it, like you said, it felt like it was a less good Marvel movie. It just... Even stuff like Spider, I think Spider was the kid's name, like the human kid that was in the tribe. Yeah. I was like, I feel like his sort of like character never ever felt conflicted enough. I thought the whole movie just kind of like, like I said, it wasn't bad. It was it was fine. It just was not for for a movie that we had to wait what twelve years for. Not that I was anticipating it all that much, but it just should have been so much better than it was. And for it to be over three hours was absolutely unnecessary. Yeah, it, like if it was. You know, two hours, even two and a half hours. I'd probably just stick it at, what did I see, 52 movies? I'd probably stick it around the mid-20s, 30s, somewhere in there. But it's just too long, and I just the characters aren't all that interesting to me. The villains aren't compelling enough. It was still the same guy from the first one, and but now it's his clone instead. It doesn't, it just was very lazy. Like, I like my villains to be complicated and, like, feel justified in their actions and to sort of be more nuanced characters and these villains were just terrible like they're not even terrible people because at least if they were like terrible people but they were so despicable that you have to hate them but it didn't even feel they were just very bland and boring i felt like yeah and like the next one it's like oh they're gonna go to uh 
they're going to have a fire tribe. And it's like, oh, okay, then Avatar 4, what, is mountains? Like, we get it. It's just, I don't know. It's not, it's not that, I don't know. I mean, it makes a lot of money and good for James Cameron and everything, but it's just not for me. Yeah. Uh, not making a lot of money is number nine. I had a, I had a light year. Not that it was bad. It was just, I love the Toy Story franchise, and this just felt like a low effort movie. It's like there's no chance this is any ten year old kid's favorite movie. It's just a money grab. Uh, it's like instead of just being a fun space adventure, it's like what if it was dealt with the emotions of Buzz just being so obsessed with trying to leave this planet that all of his friends grow old and die. It's like, eh, it's man, yeah. you know. I'm with you on that one too. Not again. Not that it was bad because for me there were only two bad movies, and I'll get to them at the top of my list. But it was just more disappointing because I hold Disney in very high regard. Yeah. Uh, so I come into every Disney movie expecting full-on waterworks by the end. I want to be moved to tears, especially when it's a an offshoot of a franchise that is really one of the most emotional ones that I've seen. Like the scene in Toy Story 3 when they're going to the incinerator is one of the most emotional scenes to me in movie history, not just Disney history. And then Lightyear to me didn't have any of that sort of charm. I know a lot of people are going to bash it because like, oh, it had a gay scene and it was like one two-second tap kiss. Yeah. In a montage that no kid would have even probably noticed if adults weren't making a big deal of it. But... That aside, I just thought the movie felt kind of flat. Like, it wasn't special for a Disney movie. And uh, I didn't put it in my bottom five, but that reminds me, I'll add Strange World to it for the same sort of reason. Again, it wasn't a bad movie, and people were mad because there's a gay character. But it just, to me, it didn't have the heart and the sort of, like, emotional aspect that I expect from a Disney movie. It was, like, it was cute, but it just wasn't very good. And... That's what it is more for me than anything. More disappointing than bad. See, I liked Strange World more than Lightyear. Uh, I know they both didn't didn't do well. Uh, honestly, Strange World, I blame on the marketing. Like, most people did not really even know it existed. So, yeah, uh, I may have to watch Strange World, too, because the hard thing for me for a lot of the kids' movies that I saw this year is I saw them with my daughter, and she, for people who don't know, she has autism. And so she has trouble with, like, staying in a seat and focusing for a movie, so it's hard for me to really hear all the dialogue and catch, like, the entire movie in full when it's a kid's movie. But I still felt like I got enough of a gist to just not think it was that great. Yeah, I let me think. It was – I um, I was – yeah, I didn't – like I said, I didn't, I didn't even know going in that it had a gay character. Like, Lightyear, I knew there was that, but I didn't even know there was even one in – Strange World, and I think it's because no one even knew the movie came out, so there was no big deal to be made. Yeah, as a Strange World, really, like you didn't know what it was going to be going into it, and I ended up kind of feeling like, uh, um, why am I blanking on the name of the show right now? The the show with Miss Frizzle, a uh, Magic School Bus. It felt like almost like a Magic School Bus episode turned into a movie to me. <laughs> At number eight is uh. Unlike Lightyear, made made a decent return on investment. I have a smile. Yeah, and I definitely agree there too. That was another one on my list. And it sucks because I'm okay. By the way, there's going to be heavy spoilers in any movie we talk about, so don't get mad. So for this one, I I thought the concept was actually pretty good, where it's like this curse that if you see someone die horrifically, 
uh, gets passed to you, and then in like a week you kill yourself in a horrific fashion, then it gets passed to them. And the only way to break it is to murder someone else horrifically, and then it gets passed to whoever witnesses that murder, which happened with the prisoner. I'm like, okay, not a bad concept for a movie. Plus the curse, you know, travels and smiles at people, and I thought the marketing with the hiding the fans at the World oh, Series was great. Of the year. That, that people just sta- uh, sitting and staring at the camera at the baseball games was definitely the best marketing campaign this year. Oh, I loved it. And then, so the whole throughout the whole movie, they're teasing that the girl, the main character, uh, she was dealing with this horrific trauma of her childhood where she watched her mother OD and didn't call the police or the ambulance or whatever because it was uh, her mom was a bad mom. So she just kind of let her die, and she was kind of dealing with that throughout the whole movie. And then at the end, the curse took the shape of her mom. A little goofy, but she ended up dealing with it. And I was like, okay. Kind of a clever ending that you can break the curse by dealing with your own, uh, you know, personal trauma. And de- oh, okay, nope, they're just gonna go with the generic predictable ending where she kills herself. Okay, never mind. So, it was just disappointing. I'm like, just please don't end with like, oh, the curse got her, and it's like, yep, that's what happened. It's like, that's ah. exactly where I was too. I thought it was it. It to me felt. I don't want to say exactly the same because I thought Hereditary had better individual scenes in it, but Hereditary is one of my least favorite movies of all time because I felt like the ending ruined a really good movie and it was two different I've said this a million times. I feel like it was two different good movies mushed together to make one horrible movie. And it's because Hereditary felt like it was a movie about like generational trauma and sort of trying to cope with it and then it all of a sudden became nope, just kidding, it's the devil. And that's how Smile kind of felt too where it was like oh, this is kind of a clever twist like a clever modern twist on like how do people deal with trauma? And, like, how does that sort of resonate with you? And how do you cope? And then I was like, no, just kidding. Just the devil. Like, and that's why I... It, it was actually in my bottom five for that reason. But... Yeah, I I mean, this was never going to be in my top ten, but I thought the concept was pretty good for, a, you know, a genre that is, like, made, like, what is Saul 10's coming out this year and then Scream 6. So, you know, horror is pretty much just okay. going back to what they that's know. A- not... Scream 6 is going to probably be one of my favorite movies this year, and it's going to fit in with another movie that I'm going to talk about a little bit later. But it's a movie that I know is not going to be good. Like, I just look at it, and I'm like, this is going to be terrible. <laughs> but because it's the idea of Scream in New York, and it reminds me of, like, Jason Takes Manhattan and stuff, I think I'm going to enjoy the hell out of that movie, even though I know it's not going to be good. Well, the other thing, I, the Smile reminded me of, have you ever seen the movie Knowing with Nicolas Cage? I haven't. So it was, a, again, a good concept where they discovered a mathematical formula to predict, like, 9-11 or, um, the, what was the volcano Pompeii? Like, just these terrible, Pearl Harbor, like, all these terrible events. It's like, hey, if you plug it in, and then all of a sudden they discover, like, oh, in, like, a year or whatever from now, there's going to be a really, really bad event using the same formula. And it's like, okay, well, who designed this formula? This is interesting. And then it gets all the way to the end, and it's just like, Aliens. It's like, ugh, <laughs> really? But, yeah, that was Smile to me. So, uh, Number seven, I've got, uh, it has to be on a, a bottom list. It's uh, Morbius. It's goofy, stupid, although I think people saying it's the worst superhero movie ever, like, no. Caleb and I have watched so much worse. I'll, <laughs> I'll say something nice about it. It gets way too much hate. Like, I've seen the, uh, the meme of... Um, like the predator meme with the arms shaking hands and it's like 
worst DC movie, worst Marvel movie. It's like in the middle, it's Jared Leto. It's like, guys, you have not seen Catwoman. You have not seen Dark Phoenix. You have not seen uh, Supergirl. Like these, this is this is just a goofy, forgettable movie. But to me, it felt like it, it, it would be on my like most disappointing, just because it was a Marvel movie. And again, I feel like Marvel movies come with high expectations now, like Disney movies to me. Um, but for me, it almost felt like it was like from the sort of Tobey Maguire Spider-Man trilogy, as far as like it's not a great movie, but it's not terrible. Like the acting isn't going to win any awards, the story isn't going to be groundbreaking, but it was totally fine and inoffensive. I felt like. Yeah, I. But the one thing I really disliked, and it's funny, like there's like a there's a story now that you can. Sue movie studios if they air if they advertise something that's not in the movie, and my mind immediately went to the scene where Jared Leto's walking in front of a Spider-Man poster, which is not in the movie. And I'll have more to say when we talk about the other Sony movie coming out this year, but uh, you might want to start putting Spider-Man in these movies, uh, Sony, if you're going to keep making them. Uh, number six, I've got. Uh, oof. Fantastic Beast Secrets of Dumbledore. This is boring. I mean, yeah. maybe it's a better book. I've never read it, but like the plot of like, ooh, this Griffin will he kneel? It's just boring. But yeah, but I, yeah, Harry Potter is uh, that franchise has run out of steam. And uh, did you see? I saw a story this week that they were talking about potentially rebooting it, like just recasting the whole thing and starting from scratch again. Yeah, well, I do that instead of making like something brand new. <laughs> like I said, I'd, I'd kind of be interested though, just because I know people go crazy over Harry Potter, and I've never actually seen. I don't think any of them in full. So I mean, it's all uh, Fantastic Beasts, Dumbledore. That's like the only one. But... Yeah, the Harry Potter movies are are good. Fantastic Beasts have not really done much for me, and then they're like, oh well, we'll just cast a. Uh... Mad Mickelson as the villain instead of Johnny Depp, and it didn't make any difference. But okay, that's my ten through six. So now we are on the same level. All right. So I'm gonna start with one that is gonna get some heat, probably because people loved it, and it's it really was kind of ruined by Ben Shapiro critiquing it in the last week. <laughs> I don't want to necessarily fall in line with Ben Shapiro, who just doesn't understand what a murder mystery is. But for me, I thought Glass Onion was a huge letdown. I wasn't as crazy about Knives Out as a lot of people. I didn't think it was bad, but it was just okay to me. But when I saw the cast for Glass Onion, it was probably my favorite cast for a movie all year. It's like I love just about every actor in that. I think Ed Norton's fantastic. Batista's great. There's really nobody in that to me who's like Daniel Craig's good. Nobody in that movie is a bad actor in anything that they do. But yet the story just felt so hokey and forced. And like, ah, guess what? She's a twin. And I was like, this is so lame. I hate this so much. And like I said, I really, and I thought it was going to be funny. I thought it was going to be just a great movie overall. And then I saw it in theaters and I was like, this kind of sucks. So I liked the first one better. I didn't mind this one. It was not as good, and the idea that like France would just lend someone the Mona Lisa is preposterous. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I don't know. It was to me, it was it was fine. It's just um, the um, the twin thing was a bit odd, and 
Edward Norton being the actual killer I could kind of see coming from a mile away, but yeah. Yeah, it was a very, to me, it felt like just a very ham-handed twist. And I know to some degree it's supposed to be that, because it's supposed to not be a direct parody of murder mysteries, but kind of be like, I guess, an homage to sort of like vintage murder mysteries. But I don't know. But like I said, there's only really two movies that I thought were terrible this year. I didn't think Glass Onion was terrible. It was just disappointing. My number five is going to be, I'm, I'm guessing this might make your list, is uh, 3,000 Years of Longing. Oh, hey, guess what? <laughs> That's my number one. All right. So one of the movies that I thought was just terrible. I won't get into too much of it then. I don't want to steal your thunder. But the concept of like a modern day genie I thought was great. And oh, the movie starts oh, off and it, 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 it was super interesting. That's why I had such high expectations for it. Yeah. And it, it's so, like. It was, and I forget who the woman is in it. But I feel like she's a good actress, too. I'm just... Oh, Tilda Swinton, yeah. So bad. Yeah, and Idris Elba as a genie I thought was a good cast. And it starts off with, like, she's she sees, like, this uh, little person who's, like, really dressed strangely in the airport. Then she gets, like, scared to the point where she passes out at her lecture, where this weird-looking dude is sitting in the audience who's clearly, like, a ghost. And I'm thinking, okay, so this genie's gonna be, like, the the monkey paw genie where it's like oh i wish for a million dollars and then you get hit by a car and it's like oh here's a million dollar settlement it's like cool but now i can't walk but uh one of those type of genie that's kind of where i thought and then the movie starts up he starts explaining his origin story and then he just keeps explaining it and keeps explaining it and at this point i'm like my god this is the movie like when do we get to the wishes get to the stupid wishes already it was the uh like the simpsons where they're like Poochie, like, get to the firework factory already. And it's like, just get to the stupid wishes. And then he just keeps talking about his origin and his origin and his origin. And then she's like, oh, I wish that uh, you loved me. It's like, what? Like, are you this hard up for a guy? Like, what is going on? And it's just weird and uh, completely ruined a, a good concept. But, yeah. Yeah, I can't really add much to it. I just thought it was top to bottom horrible. And then the idea that, like, they get together, they kind of have a relationship, but then they can't really have a relationship, but he comes back to visit every so long. It was just, I hated the whole movie. Uh, number four for, well, I'll let you go. And I know we're not going to agree on my number four. but Like I said, I don't really have a lot, so you got, you got my number one, you got to smile already. I'm going to put another one that, again, I didn't think it was a terrible movie, and this was largely my fault because I went into this movie confusing this with another movie that I ended up kind of liking this year, but I thought I was going to see Amsterdam when I instead went to go see See How They Run. <laughs> and because they're similar, like they're both set in sort of like oldie time, uh, again, like kind of murder mystery sort of movies. But See How They Run, I believe that was the one with Ed Norton. Yeah, that was the one with Ed Norton because the other one had Christian Bale and uh, John David Washington. But... I don't know. It was about a murder in a theater and, you know, how they follow up to it. But it was just kind of dull. And there wasn't, like I said, it wasn't the worst movie, but it just, there was really nothing to it. So that made my list. So my number four is, uh, and I wanted to like this. I went in hoping it would be hilarious because I really liked the guy in it. But uh, number four was bros. I just, it wasn't wasn't funny to me. Um, Maybe the first time that we disagreed. I yeah. thought 
like it's not on my top ten, but I thought Bros was way funnier than I than I thought it'd be. And admittedly, I am a fan of like Billy Eichner's awkward humor. No, I um, am too. That's why I thought this would be great. But uh, but the scene when he's in like the threesome with the guy and then tries to leave had me dying in the theater. I thought I just thought the whole movie was really really funny. Yeah, I, I had two or three laughs for me throughout the whole movie, and they weren't anything that huge of a laugh. Uh, I mean, I know the big story coming out was his weird meltdown on Twitter afterwards, and uh, yeah, his, like, say, his, that was his, that was very cringy. The like. general rule of thumb is don't. <laughs> Don't insult people who might be going to see your movie, because then you're just going to alienate anybody who's on the fence. Like, I mean, in blatant homophobia, it's like, no, your voice is terrible. Because <laughs> I also saw, which I thought was another movie that was pretty good this year, but uh, in the same sort of vein was Spoiler Alert with uh, Jim Parsons. And that was another one that was like a gay sort of rock, like I guess less a rock com for that and more just kind of a tragedy a little bit, but sort of a comedy still. Um, but just a gay romance. But I feel like everybody was like blaming homophobia. It's like no, Billy Eichner and Jim Parsons are two of the most grating, like hard to listen to people. And I know I guess it's hard for Jim Parsons because like, well, he's on Big Bang Theory and everybody goes crazy for that. But I've always found his character to be very off-putting, like the voice and stuff, and just something about the way he speaks. And it's not like oh because he has a gay accent or whatever. It's just something about the way he sounds that bothers me. Yeah, and like um, unless you are uh, George Clooney and Julia Roberts doing a rom com, it's just they're not really going to make money in theaters anymore. To me, Bros should have been straight to streaming, uh, or else come out in February for Valentine's Day or you know Pride Month, which I think is June. So uh, maybe then it might have done better, but at best this movie was going to break even. And, yeah. Uh, what September or October, right? Is very like strange. Yeah, time. it's like people want horror in October. That's not yeah. really a great month, and uh, people don't really know who Billy Eichner is. I mean, I Billy on the Street's hilarious. I've watched it many times, been in tears, but it's like <laughs> other than that, he had like a bit role on Parks and Rec. No one really knows who he is, and he's in the Lion King reboot, but that's yeah. exactly so great. So anyway, that was number four. I just wanted to like it, but yeah. And I saw it, so I'm not a homophobe, so there's that. Uh, uh, you just go with your next one, because I really only have one more movie at this point that I want to talk about for bad. Well, this one is, uh, I kind of mentioned it already, it's Pinocchio. Uh, this, I mean, Tom Hanks was good in it, but it's Tom Hanks, so, but the rest, it's just, the only thing I have to say, it's a heartless cash grab. That's that's all these remakes are. Some of them are better than others. Like I enjoyed Beauty and the Beast. Aladdin was fine, but I just these live action Disney's they don't do it for me. They're not. Yeah, I don't know. This Pinocchio was probably the worst of the bunch. I'm not really all that looking forward to Little Mermaid. I wasn't even that big of a fan of the animated one, so I doubt I'll even see it. But I was say I still have to see Pinocchio before I can judge it really. But uh, I know my my ex Veronica's mom. And I were talking, and she was saying that she really liked it because she felt like it. Uh, a lot of it sort of resonated with autism. And we didn't really get into details because, like, I'm, I think you know me. I try to avoid spoilers on things that I haven't seen. But uh, I, I definitely want to give it a watch because I feel like for as much as her and I disagree on, we generally have similar tastes and things like that. So. This is to keep just – this is not the Guillermo del Toro one, just so you're aware. This is the oh. Disney Plus one. <laughs> 
Wait, the Disney Plus one is the Guillermo del Toro one, isn't it? I'm confused. No, no, there's two. <laughs> one's on Netflix, one's on Disney Plus. I thought they were just I thought it was the same movie, just on both platforms. No, I'm betting she's talking about the one with Guillermo del Toro. I don't think she liked the Disney Plus one. Well, we'll see. Uh, so number two uh, is uh, for me I have Halloween Ends it's just a terrible terrible movie um, it, I, I'll actually use Caleb's criticism of this movie it felt like Ric Flair's last match vibes where you have I missed what you were saying because I was trying to look up the Pinocchio I didn't realize there were two different Pinocchios until just now Oh yeah, but which movie were you saying? Uh, Halloween ends. Uh, this one, as Caleb said, Ric Flair last match vibes. Just uh, terrible. These new ones got progressively worse. I thought the uh... when in Halloween ends when the uh, sheriff comes out though, I had such a belly laugh in the theater. Well, this one was a streaming for me. And uh, I'm glad, like I said, I did not pay money for this. I don't know why you're introducing a protege in the third movie. And it, the way he died, by the way, the way the protege killed the kid in the opening scene, I laughed out loud. When he just flung the door open and he flew over the baronet, the banister. <laughs> oh, yes, in the closet. That's right. Mm-hmm. All right. So I guess I'll just go to my number one bad movie of the year. Which my number one was 3,000 Years of Longing. But my number, a uh, close number two, was there was there was two Liam Neeson movies that came out this year, and I thought one was actually pretty good, not not good enough to be my top ten, but kind of a a decent movie, and that was a movie called Memory that he did, which was about a detective who was losing his memory, and or I don't know if he's a detective, or whatever, it was, some sort of law enforcement or government agent thing, but he was like losing his memory, and he was trying to you know remember the details of things as he's solving a crime, whatever. On the other end of that, he did a movie called Blacklight that I remember virtually nothing from. I know every movie that he does now is just some variation of Taken. But I remember the acting being terrible. I remember the story being even worse. And Blacklight was just a horrible cash grab that was like the worst of Liam Neeson just playing himself in every other movie. So my number one is the first and only NC-17 movie I've ever seen. It is Blonde, the Marilyn Monroe story. And, uh, yeah, it, I'll, I'll definitely get to the uh, to the abortion scene because it's the one scene that... It's, it's, it's the one thing that uh, pro-lifers and pro-choice people can agree on, that it was terribly done. So... As a fan of Oliver Stone, I don't. This it felt like they were trying to be Oliver Stone, but uh, they failed. And if that's like a fine line, if you can't do it, then it looks it's messy. They would like she was in a relationship with these two guys. They were like a trio of relationship or something, and then it just ended. And there's no like, how did it end? And they they don't explain it. There's a scene where JFK rapes her, which pretty sure that didn't happen, but. Um, and the other thing is, I, re I was reading up on it, Marilyn Monroe was act actually at a very high IQ, and she acted like the dumb blonde to get money, which it worked. But in the movie, she's 
always acting like the dumb blonde. So it makes it hard to root for this character. It would be like rooting, it would be like watching Forrest Gump, but instead of him just being super generous, he's just sleeping with people to get what he wants. It's like, but it's hard to root for you because you're not very intelligent. But in real life, Marilyn Monroe was, and you know, but uh, yeah. So the okay, the abortion scene. This is why it's NC-17. There's a, a vaginal shot. It's not a real vagina. So, uh, and look, this is not a uh, any sort of uh, a pro- um political stance. This is just what happened in the movie. I'm just going to tell you what happened. So, she goes in, she's on the table, and then they start strapping her down. I'm like, do they use straps? I don't know about that. I mean, I know it's the 60s, different time, but uh, seems weird that they would use straps, but okay. And then she starts saying, you know what? I've changed my mind. I don't, uh, I don't want this. I'll pay you. Just let me go, and we'll, I'll, I'll leave. And you know, in the history of abortions in America, I, I'll bet that's happened a couple times where girls just decide, you know what, change my mind. And you know, the old saying, "My body, my choice." Okay, you change your mind, you're free to go. So in this one, the doctor says, "No, no, this procedure is happening." It's like pretty sure that's not how that works, and especially if you're willing to still pen. Yeah, and they start going for it. Okay, I don't know what else to say. And she undoes the straps, and she runs out of the room. And the doctor's like, "Get her! Stop her!" I'm like, "What? No! What?" And she she runs into a room with like no exit, and then she like hides in the corner and just starts screaming. And then she wakes up and then, like, feels her belly and she's, like, not pregnant. And I'm like, so did she get the abortion or was that supposed to be a nightmare sequence? What was that? I, I genuinely don't know. And I, I read, like, there's even conflicting reports if she got one. It's not confirmed that she ever got one. People have said that she was pregnant and that obviously she didn't have any kids. So that would lead you to believe that maybe she got one. But also people have said she wanted kids and obviously doesn't have any. So I don't know. The fact that it's not confirmed, why would you even put it in the movie then? So it was just a bizarre scene. And like I said, it felt like a nightmare sequence. And it's like, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think... Not that uh, the show, uh, what was it, 13 Reasons Why is like this awesome compass and how we should do things, but they did do an abortion scene in that one, and I'm not going to say it was great, but it's like they they did it with the seriousness that you should do, because it's a it's a big decision, whether you agree with it or not. It's a big decision, and it's not something that you, when you're done with it, you're like, all right, who wants to go grab lunch now? It's like, no, it's still kind of a thing where you're like, okay, I did it, and, you know, it's like, it's a big thing. And this yeah, one, it treated it like a nightmare scene. Having a party afterwards, celebrating. Yeah. 
Like, done. okay, well, all right. Well, we got got that done. Let's run some more errands. Like, no, it's not an it's not like a thing that you just plan. Like, okay, well, I'm gonna go to the gym, go get an abortion, go to the grocery, go get some lunch. I was like, no, it's like a big decision. And this one, it treated it like a nightmare scene. I'm like, that's not at all what I would have done. But yeah, and then like I said, then the JFK rape scene, which uh, was just really bizarre. Um, I, I don't know. It's like, I thought they had a relationship. I don't know. Maybe I don't know enough about Marilyn Monroe, but I thought they, her and JFK were dating or like unofficially dating, but like he, she goes into his office and he's like ordering her to basically blow him. And it's like, don't, don't think that's how that worked, but and, yeah. And you mentioned Oliver Stone. So I was going to say, if you're going to go full uh, conspiracy theory with it and you're going to say that he raped her, then why not just push it the whole way and say that uh, she then was the one who had him killed? Sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if we're gonna rewrite history and do alternate, uh, alternate versions, let's do that. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say totally alternate versions. I don't know enough to know that, like, maybe he did because for years powerful men got away with literally anything. So I can't sit here and say that, like, oh, he definitely didn't. But it's also it feels like something that if it had happened, we'd have heard about it more by now than just that movie. Yeah, and it was over three hours. And uh, look, a biopic would be really hard. If I was a director, I would that'd be very hard to do. But uh, yeah, this is uh, too long and confusing. And this year, I, there are quite a few that went over three hours. I saw Babylon the other day. I saw Babylon the same day that I saw Way of the Water, and those were both movies that were over three hours. It was it was a year for long movies. Yeah, well. Time for, on a lighter note, the top ten. Before we get into the top ten, I'm just going to mention quickly, I won't run down each of them in depth, but just some movies that I thought were pleasant surprises this year. These weren't necessarily great movies, but they were movies that I came into with little to no expectations for that ended up being really fun or good. And uh, some of the ones that made the list, I don't know if you've seen all of these, is Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I did not. Okay, that was the Pete Davidson like horror one. There was a murder in the house, or so you think. And it's uh like they they have a hurricane party in Florida and then there's a blackout and all of a sudden Pete Davidson's character is dead. And it's like, well, who killed him? What happened? One of these people has to be the murderer, this and that, and then it's like a whole movie about that. But it ultimately ends up being that it's about it's really about how like vapid and I guess for a lack of a better term, shitty people are on social media. And that's kind of like really what it comes down to. Um, but that was one. The other one I had already talked about, which was Memory, which I thought was like the better Liam Neeson movie that I expected to also be terrible, but wasn't. Um, Fall was like a roller coaster for me of a movie. It's where the two girls get stranded. They like free climb the uh, radio tower in the middle of the desert. But something about the way that it was shot, it just scared the hell out of me. The whole like I was white knuckling it basically the whole movie because it felt like it was like uh, like these people are gonna die at any second, but for the entire like ninety minutes or two hours, however long of a movie it was, I thought that was shot really really well. Um, also, Moonfall, which was a terrible movie, <laughs> but I said it's the most movie in any movie this year because it just had everything happening in it. And I thought the sort of, like, main protagonist being a podcast host was just a funny kind of twist on things. Like, he's a conspiracy theory um, podcast guy. 
And then uh, just two more were Ticket to Paradise, which you mentioned George Clooney and Sandra Bullock mm-hmm. earlier. But uh, I thought that was a lot cuter than I ever expected it to be. They did a good job of like being emotional and sort of showing the the conflicting feelings of when you like leave somebody and when you still have a kid together, which needless to say I'm dealing with in real life. Um, and then my number one sort of pleasant surprise, which almost made my top 10. I had to just kind of keep it out was pause and fury. The legend of Hank. It was an animated kids movie that was basically a scene for scene redo of blazing saddles, just with like samurai paths instead of, the Wild West. It was apparently they got permission from Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks was a part of the movie itself. So Pause of Fury just being a kid's version of Blake and Saddles all the way down to the scene where it's uh, in this one, the sheriff is a cat. So it's like the sheriff is a, and then it's like gong, just like in Blake and Saddles. It was just perfect. And I was shocked that like a kid's movie could just basically redo the same exact story so well. I just have two uh, honorable mentions real quick. Uh, I would say Prey, the uh, the new Predator movie. I really enjoyed that. That's another one I hadn't seen because I was late on this, the streaming stuff this year. Yeah, that one. And then uh, I really liked uh, Wakanda Forever. I thought that one was, was very that's, good. That's going to be in my top ten. Yeah, I've got uh, – it would probably be 11 for me. But I would say uh, – the villain Namor was uh I loved him. I loved the 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 contrast of the two worlds. Um I do have something to say which later on when we get to I've I compiled a list of uh, anticipated movies for 2023. Uh I'll have something to say about the the way Marvel's going with that, but those yeah. are like my two honorable mentions, I suppose. So, I say those those are more like pleasant surprises for me. I wouldn't even call a lot of them honorable mentions except for Pause of Fury. But um, if I was giving an actual, I have six here that I would do as an actual honorable mention. And that's Violent Night, which is way more fun than I expected it to be. Um, The Batman, which I'd imagine is probably going to crack your top ten. We'll see. <laughs> um, Triangle of Sadness, which was the one with Woody Harrelson and a bunch of uh, sort of unknown actors. About the uh, wealthy yacht that crashes in the and gets shipwrecked in the middle of like an island somewhere. I thought that was really funny and had uh, some good moments. I also had uh, Armageddon Time, which I had in my top ten for a while, and then just as I was doing my final list, took it out. And that's the one about the uh, kid who his friends, he's like a white kid, and he's, his uh, family are Holocaust survivors. But they're um, he befriends this young black kid, but then they get into trouble together at school. He gets sent to another school. And it's sort of about the relationship after that and how he learns to deal with sort of like prejudice and just the changing of life. And I thought that was pretty good, too. Um, then I have Bullet Train is another honorable mention, which is another one that I feel like may make your top ten. And mm. then The Whale, which my only issue with The Whale was the prosthetics on uh, Brendan Fraser, I feel like, were a little overdone where it almost looked too comically like he's that heavy. But I thought his acting was really good, and the story was really interesting. So The Whale is my other honorable mention. And with that, I think we could start the top ten. Yeah, my top ten was one of your honorable mentions. Is uh, Actually, no, Pleasant Surprises. It was uh, Violent Night. It was, uh, like you said, just it was way more fun than I thought it would be. And 
I actually we added it to the hero cast movie list. Uh, <laughs> I mean, technically, it's a guy with superpowers fighting criminals. So sure, I was like, whatever, that, fine. And uh, let's say it also Violent Night also helped because uh, it helped for me too because it was the only movie of the 123 that I've seen this year that I uh, actually drank a little bit before I went to go see and got drinks during the movie because I went to one of the regals that has a bar by me. Um, and I think that definitely added to the fun of it. I had a friend who I've been friends with since elementary school who came in and we kind of did a whole Christmas themed like day of it. And so that, that ended up being really fun. I also love just how deplorable the people were that were in the house, like the, uh, the sister-in-law and, or the sister and then her husband, who's like this wannabe actor, and then their the, the dude, nephew. yeah, the son, who's like a YouTube or a Twitter sensation or tech talk, whatever. But uh, yeah, love that. Um, I'll do a number nine. This one uh, it sucks because it didn't make money, but uh, Wait, which one was number ten? Was it Violent Night? Yeah, that was my number yeah. ten. My number nine, it's unfortunately, oh. I forgot another honorable mention as uh, Northman. I really liked that one. I thought that was good, yeah. Uh, which, uh, much like my number nine, did not make money. Which sucks, but it happens. Uh, this one, though, I think if it came out this year, because this particular actor is about to do two movies that I suspect will be very high up in the box office, so maybe it just came out too soon, was uh, Devotion. I think Jonathan Majors, he's about to have a big year. And unfortunately, this one just came out before people are really familiar with them. But yeah, I thought Devotion was really good. I like that. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, war movies are. It's always World War Two or World War One. So the Korean War was at least something different. I liked that. Uh, I liked the. And, and hey, look, it taught me something. I didn't know that uh, the character that he played, whose name I can't remember, I did not know that he uh, that he went to Ohio State. I thought that was pretty cool. You know, maybe yeah. we should. Put up a statue at the airport for him. That would be nice. But, uh, it, but the, it was mostly carried with his his acting. I just it was so great, and it was, um, you know, I. They did yeah. a, they did a good job of building that relationship too with him and the uh, the other character. Like when he gives him his pin at the at the dance and stuff to try to impress the girls when they're over in where were they France I think. Yeah. Um, and then when they're hanging out with Elizabeth Taylor and stuff, I thought, yeah, that was a good movie. Yeah, and it wasn't, like, too overtly, like, I mean, there was there was racism, but it wasn't, like, overt. Uh, yeah. Like, um, yeah. So I, 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 I enjoyed it a lot. Um, so I'll just do that kind of gives me a good segue to my number 10. And my number 10 was uh, on the opposite end of that spectrum. Devotion could have easily been in the spot, too. But another military movie that may be a little surprising for me because I feel like I am a little bit of a movie hipster at times. Um, but my number 10 was Top Gun Maverick. Okay. I thought, I, you, thought was, I, I just went into nine. I didn't. I forgot about your 10. <laughs> yeah. um, but my number 10 was Top Gun Maverick. I thought it was – the story was good and interesting, and I liked that they – I like any time movies – Anytime franchises use their real-life passage of time in the movie. So I like that it's like now, like, Tom Cruise is an old guy in it, and he's now dealing with uh, Goose's son. So I like that aspect of it. But I also thought it was maybe the best shot movie of the year. 
Like, all the scenes of them flying the jets looked really impressive. I don't know how they did it. I don't know if they did any actual flying, because I know Tom Cruise likes to do his own stunts and stuff. I believe they did, yeah. It was all real. So, it just looked, like, it, visually it looked awesome. And I saw it in IMAX, and I think that definitely helped, too. But like I said, the story, the story was good, too. I mean, <clears throat> I thought it could it could have been in my top five, if not for a sort of predictable kind of ending that I was hoping they might take a little bit of a different direction on. But even with that, I thought the story was great. And like I said, just the most like visually appealing movie of the year. So Top Gun Maverick is my 10. Um, and since you did your number nine, I'll do mine too. My number nine is a movie that nobody knows about, I feel like, because I didn't even know about it until I saw it. I hadn't seen a trailer for it or anything. And it was a movie called The Outfit. And I have to double check who was in it. Give me one second. Uh, well, you are correct. I have not heard of it. <laughs> so, I, I want to say it's Ralph Fiennes, but I could be. It's not. I, I might be wrong. Um, oh no, Mark Rylance is the main guy. Okay, so it's it's Mark Rylance is uh, Taylor, and I want to say it's set in Chicago in. I want to say roughly like 1920s. I could be off on the timing because I've only seen it once and I don't really remember a lot of the details. But it's basically, it's similar to The Whale in that it's all shot in one room over the course of time. And so it all takes place, or not one room, but one location. So it all takes place in this uh, tailor shop. And it's about, basically there's been, I want to say there's like money missing from the mob. And this guy's a tailor for the mob. And so the whole movie is about them trying to figure out, like, who took the money, and then one of the characters gets killed, and, you know, is he, like, it, and it ends up being, like, is he going to be out for killing this character? And it's very tense, the whole movie, but it's well acted, the dialogue is good, and it's, like I said, it's just an interesting twist, because it plays out very similar to a play, where it's uh, all over the course of one night in one room, and it's just, is he going to get outed by the mob, basically, for killing this guy? And what's going to happen to him. And it's a really interesting movie. And so the outfit is my number nine. Sounds like a Reservoir Dogs, almost. Uh, similar, but different. Yeah. All right. So my number eight is... Uh, number eight I put as uh, Till. I, uh, I can't say it's a good movie, because it's so incredibly sad. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's a well-made movie, I will say. See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree. I'm going to say... Till was almost in my worst movies of the year. Really? But it's I see I think I'm biased because well this sounds this sounds terrible I can't say I'm biased and then Till in the same sentence. Um, but so my degrees were all in history and a lot of what we studied in classes was a lot of American history and so I had sort of heard the whole Emmett Till story years ago when I was in college and part of it was. We had seen, uh, there was, I believe there was footage of the uncle testifying at the trial. And just, I feel like the movie sort of painted, painted things a little bit differently and also didn't, I guess to some degree they, they, like the director had said that they wanted to focus more on the sort of uplifting aspects of it. But I feel like they almost didn't go too far enough in either direction. Like they kind of skirted the line too much where I feel like if they had gone more into the tragedy and more into sort of like, because his death was real, and I mean, you see it in his face in the movie, but like the actual details are like so brutal of what really had happened to him, as yeah. far as just the beating and the way that his like face swelled up with the water and everything. 
And I feel like they kind of didn't do a good enough job of really sort of hammering home in the movie, like, just how brutal it was. Like, they show you, but I feel like they don't... I don't know. Maybe it's because I've seen, like, the real pictures and the real sort of context of it a little bit more. But then at the same time, they also, I feel like, didn't focus enough on sort of the aftermath and sort of what his mother did to try to progress things that, like... I don't know. I just thought, like, if it wasn't a bad movie, I just thought it could have been a lot, done a lot better. So for me, well, the one thing I will say, the director said he did not want uh, his movie to include any actual violence, like on-screen violence. So I can respect that. Uh, I don't understand that. Like, I, I get that you don't want to just pile yeah, on. Like, oh, let's glorify him. Like, you know, like oh, how uh, say, like Pearl Harbor got glorified in the movie Pearl Harbor. It's like, look at these bombs dropping. And it's like, those were real people that blew up. So, uh, But, but what's, I think what, what makes it hard for me is like, if it was more of a movie about, like, if it was just a movie sort of about the sort of violence of, like, the segregation era South and stuff, I, I can understand that more. But when it's about one singular instance, and especially one that, it'd be like making a Matthew Shepard movie and, like, not sort of getting into how brutally he was beaten. Like, I feel like at some point, you like, if you're focusing on one person where the whole story is sort of the brutality of it, then you kind of got to be willing to go a little bit further in it and make people more uncomfortable than they did. Yeah, well, a lot of it for me was um, what carried it was the acting. It was uh, Daniel Deadweiler, I believe, and then uh, Jalen Hall were. Uh, I mean that that to me it you know I would uh, I would hope she gets nominated for a best actress award, but uh, that to me is is really what what carried it. And then I did think they did a pretty good job as far as like explaining i mean i know i just said kind of the opposite with devotion but i did like how they explain or how they showed the racism in the south it's like it's it is different down there and it certainly was and the um well, it's, it's also a different it's also kind of different context between like the racism in in the military during korea versus sort of like in the south in you know sort yeah. of high civilization like but yeah, to me it was it was it was carried by by the acting, and I will I will mention this is the second movie that I've ever seen where I did cry in the movie. First one was Patriot Day, which is <laughs> kind of weird because I didn't expect to cry in that movie. But uh, but yeah, this one uh, yeah, I mean like I said, just the acting alone made it uh, an an impressive movie for me. Yeah. That was your number eight, right? Yes. All right, so my number eight was uh, a recent movie, and I, I kind of last-minute added this to the list. It was, like, riding the cusp of my top ten. And then I was like, nah, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in here. And that's Empire of Light. Um, it focuses on Olivia Coleman and I forget the actor's name. <clears throat> but they uh, work together at a movie theater in England. And it's just sort of dealing with, like, their relationship and the them and the other characters all sort of have their own baggage in the movie and what they come in with. But I thought it was really well acted, really well written. Um, her and him kind of fall into a relationship, but never explicitly. Like, they're never, uh, they're never, like, officially dating, but they fool around and they kind of take comfort in each other, even though there's a huge age gap. Like, he's supposed to be sort of fresh out of high school in the movie, and she's, like, this sort of withered old woman. Um, but I thought, uh, Empire of Light was good. It also helps that, obviously, I'm a big movie mark. 
So anything that sort of takes place in and around a the movie theater is going to be a big hit with me. Well, uh, so number seven, I've got, uh, you were correct, I have Bullet Train on my list. Uh, this was one, look, I'm just, I need, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping for more original ideas from Hollywood in the future. It doesn't sound like we're going to get it, but every once in a while one does come up. And for me, this was a Bullet Train. I was very much looking forward to it. It did not disappoint. It was everything I wanted it to be. And yeah, it's just a, a really fun, great action movie with uh, a lot of great lines. Uh, cast was really great. I uh, I really liked it. Yeah. I feel like Brad Pitt doesn't get enough credit for uh, sort of being willing to do weirder, kind of different movies. Like whether it's Bullet Train or Babylon was like a very strange movie this year. And uh, even in the past when he's done things like um, like Inglorious Bastards and stuff like that, like. I feel like Brad Pitt's got a lot of range that people don't really talk about. Or if not range, like a willingness to sort of take risks and do different things. He does. That's a, that's a good point. And plus, I, you know, I've noticed the last few years uh, movies and TV shows are kind of going away from every movie and show being set in New York or Chicago or L.A. <laughs> or, or England, if you wanted to get even uh, international. So I, you know, like the number one show on TV, Yellowstone, it's in Montana and then Tulsa King, a great show that I watch now. It's in Oklahoma near where Caleb lives. So I'm, I'm enjoying it's It's like, I don't know why it took so long, but it's like, finally, we're kind of we realize that there are worlds outside of, you know, Los Angeles. Or, well, I, think it's, you know. I think it's just really that the big cities sort of I mean, one, they offer the obvious visual of like a lot of lights and hustle and bustle or whatever. But I think it's also a matter of like. Big cities are kind of the easiest settings for things to take place because there's so many places and so many people in such a small area that it's like it's just easier to tell stories that way than like, oh, hey, you live in a town that has five people and you're in the middle of nowhere. It's like, how much can we really do with this? Well, I mean, at least Tokyo. I don't see a ton of stuff from Tokyo, but, you know, my two of my top ten shows were in Tokyo. That was a... Uh... Tokyo Vice and Alice in Borderland and now Bullet Train. So we're, we're expanding beyond just uh, England or Moscow. Well, or, so Tokyo yeah. feels a little bit, though, like a, you kind of wanted to just do New York, but you wanted it a little bit more neon like, as far as the visual. Well, that's okay. You know, it's, it's as long as it's different, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm good sure. with the different. Uh, that was your seven, you said? That was seven, yes. Yeah, my number seven is... Uh, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. And I had actually missed the beginning, otherwise this might be even higher on my list. But, man, this was like the cutest movie of the year. It's just this shell who is living, I, I believe the house is abandoned. I don't remember if the house is abandoned at first or like the people had, had moved out. I forget the exact context. But it's a shell who's like living with his grandmother in this sort of house. And I think it's like a filmmaker ends up moving into the house. And then they kind of just, the filmmaker ends up just documenting his story. And it's, I feel like it's, there wasn't a lot that happens in it, but it's, it's all about him trying to find his family again. And like, where did they go and what happened to them? And, but it deals with a lot of sort of bigger themes, which is like, you know, grief, loneliness, like that sort of thing. And it was just, a really cute movie because it's it's like 
a live action setting, but then obviously it's not a real live action shell. Um, cause I don't know if you guys know shells can't talk. I did know but, that. But it was, but it was done really well because it's shot as if it's like this real documentary happening, but on this, just this shell and how this, and like, I forget the name of the woman who does the voice acting, but the voice acting is done by, uh, I don't know, somebody, somebody pretty famous, like I had heard of her before. But she does such a good job of like playing this sort of like little boy shell. And I don't know, it's just really sweet and endearing and just a feel good movie overall. So you've done two in a row that I, I barely even heard of. So I, yeah, a, a lot of the rest of my lesser movies, maybe even the whole rest of my lesser movies that you would be familiar with. Okay, well, that's good. Well, number six I know you've seen, and you were correct. It is on my list. It's The Batman. Yep. Okay. I think if you are, if you're like me and you loved the Nolan trilogy and you wanted to see more of that, it's like, well, he's done. But this is kind of in line with that. And to me, Batman's just this completely different in in two different universes. Uh, but yeah, this was the first of, uh, I will say, the real life universe of Batman, I suppose. Since I like that it was, I like that it was a little different too. In that, like, it was more of almost like an SVU episode meets a superhero movie. And I thought that was kind of an interesting twist on like we're not just like I mean, the movie had its fight scenes and stuff. But it wasn't really a movie as much about fight scenes as it was about, like, figuring things out. Yeah, it was way more detective work than the Nolan stuff. But uh, I think if you love the Nolan trilogy, you'll love this. So. <clears throat> but just uh, not to cut you off, but when you mentioned James Gunn and DC, one of the things that I really am curious to see what he does with DC is what he does with Superman. Because I've just recently, like, I'm not into comic books at all. Really. But uh, one of the things that I've seen recently... Is a lot of the the frames from comics of Superman, where he's sort of dealing with his feelings of like guilt towards kids, and like where he's trying to kind of protect other kids from the the burden that he kind of had to endure. And I feel like that's that's inside of Superman that I really want to see because I feel like Superman is the one character that like to me they've never done a good enough job of sort of making human. And I know that some of that is the appeal of, like, well, he's the most powerful superhero of all of them, and this and that. But I feel like nowadays, to get people really invested, you have to kind of humanize all of your heroes. And I think that element of Superman is going to be something really interesting to explore. Well, we shall see. That was... I'd asked Caleb about the most anticipated movies of this year, and we pretty much all tossed out the DC ones. It's like, yeah, they might be good. I'm Shazam 2, I'm looking forward to, but, like, it's pretty much the end of the line. It's like, I'll yeah. watch it, but it's not really going to go anywhere. So it's just, we already made it. We could either release it or cancel it like Batgirl. So. <laughs> Poor Batgirl. I, was, I, I I secretly believe that that was going to be really, really bad, and I was disappointed that it's not going to be released. Uh, it's just, it's like, how bad could it be that you're not even just throwing it on HBO Max? Because, like, they've had really bad, like, there's been plenty of bad hero movies, like, I don't know, so not just throw it on a streaming service if it's already made. Like, I guess they get more money with the write-off, which is uh, never made sense to me, but okay. That's why I'm not a millionaire. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're number six. I think you... Right. My number yeah. six is, and this is another one that I had outside of my top ten, but then when I was thinking about it today, I was like, when I'm thinking about the movies this year, I think about stuff that either moved me emotionally or stuff that I would talk about and want to see again. 
And to me, this is a movie that I definitely enjoy talking about and would like to kind of watch again, and that's The Menu. Um, I didn't expect this to be nearly as much fun as it was. And I thought the way the characters were just so detestable, so many of them, like, was great. And even though it was like, right, it's a little bit cheesy with a little over-the-top sort of eat the rich, like, I guess. But I also liked that a lot of it was sort of parody, uh, parody and like the sort of restaurant culture and like fake elitism from really, I mean, they focus in on restaurants, but kind of like everywhere in life where it's like, you like this thing because critics told you you're supposed to like this thing. and You don't really know why you even like it, but somebody who you're told is smarter than you and better than you told you you should like it. So now you love it and think it's the best thing ever. And I thought just a lot of those ideas and then like the end shot of her just with the cheeseburger was really funny to me because it's like, yeah, sometimes just like the simple things in life are the best and you don't have to always overcomplicate everything. And I thought the menu was just a really fun, fun movie. Yeah, that could be one of my honorable mentions. My my big criticism was like they kind of sort of tried to escape throughout the movie and like because they realized what was happening. But then at the end, they're just they've accepted their fate that like, OK, you can put this chocolate chip on my head and I'm not going to fight back. And like not it just struck me as weird. I'm like, not one of you is like, like, OK, I'll either be burned to death or they'll probably just you know it's a kitchen so they'll probably have knives or i can try to run and they might catch me and stab me to death but the at least I, at least i can try to escape but like none of them did they're just like yes put yeah. this chocolate on my head and i will gladly burn to death and it's like no one no one's gonna try and fight like okay <laughs> i think i think the one thing that i that i kind of would have changed about the movie is there is the scene where I think it was, was it maybe the old couple or was it her boyfriend? I forget who does it, but somebody breaks a glass at one point. And to me, that would have been a time where it's like, all right, use this broken glass as a weapon to try to get out. But that was really my sort of nitpick on it. But I still thought it was just such a fun thing. And I just kind of like the idea that, like, these people are so sort of, like, cultishly devoted to this one figure. But, like... No matter how ridiculous it is, that literally the one guy set up the scene where it's like he's gonna kill himself because it's like that's how uh, he's gonna impress this guy. I don't know. I just thought it was like kind of funny. Yeah, number five, top five. Okay, I have. Speaking of, because uh, Bullet Train was one I was looking forward to, and it was everything I wanted it to be. Number five is that as well. It's the unbearable weight of massive talent. That was very very good. I enjoyed that. It was everything I wanted it to be. It was crazy Nick Cage playing Oops. himself. And, yeah, just a love letter to all of his movies. And that's exactly what it was. And it had scenes that were absolutely hilarious. Him and uh, uh, Pablo Pascal. Uh, the scene where they're high and, like, they can't get over this wall, which is really just, like, they don't need to climb over it. It's just you can walk around it. It was all I just, of it I love them getting emotional. I love them getting emotional over Paddington. Paddington, yep, and then um, what was like his his giant museum, and then and then on top of that, it had like a pretty decent plot with the uh, you know kind of who's behind all this, and you think it's uh, pa- uh, Pascal, but it's really not, and yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun, and I hope we get to see. I hope this was like a revival for Nick Cage, although I don't know if it did all that great in the box office, which uh, is unfortunate, but. Um, you know, maybe a 
maybe it'll do well on streaming if it ever goes there. If it is yeah. there now, I don't know. It didn't make my list, but I could have put that in honorable mention. I thought that was a, a fun movie for the sure. Yeah, number five for you. All right, this was a movie. This is where I think we're going to disagree the most. Because this was a movie that you and I spent hours on Facebook arguing over. <laughs> and this was a movie called Vengeance. And it's BJ Novak. He's a podcaster. Um, he gets the call that this girl who they thought was his girlfriend died in Texas. And so he goes down there to sort of investigate and record his podcast about the investigation of this girl's murder. Because her family was convinced she was murdered. Um it was it was almost the opposite of Hereditary and Smile, where when I was watching the movie, I was on the fence where I was like, all right, this is pretty good, but let's see what happens with the ending. And I thought the ending could have been really bad, could have been really good. And then I know we totally disagreed. I love the ending when he just shoots the drug dealer. And this is where I know me and you had a, had a lot of debate because you were like, this is so out of character for him. This guy would never do it. And my counterpoint was... If you've seen enough trauma, I feel like it can change who you are as a person. And to sort of see the, the kind of apathy that they had there, and then also just the blatant, like, he literally just saw someone overdose in front of them and then get thrown away like trash. Like, I feel like seeing that sort of, and maybe I'm biased too, because like in my personal life, I haven't seen people overdose, but I've seen people literally die in front of me. And I feel like that's kind of changed a lot of my perspective as a person and made me a lot more jaded and angry and sort of emotional in my reactions at times. And I can see how that could kind of change a person. So I like Vengeance a lot. And again, podcasts are relevant. And the way he sort of looked down on the South and like he, he was like this New York elite, but then kind of ended up sort of finding them endearing and being like, all right, well, they're just people too. It's not really like we live different lives, but I'm not really better than them. Um, I just thought it was really good overall. Yeah, I was digging it up until the end. Like you said, I just... It, I couldn't. The ending lost me. Uh, it, it was at a point in my list where it was in the bottom ten, but then it eventually got pushed out by worse movies. But uh, I would probably even, I don't know, maybe bottom twelve. I might. I would probably if I was to do a bottom eleven, I would say Jurassic World Dominion would have been the the eleventh. Um, well, that was. Um, yeah. Um, it, it was fun at times, but I'll give it that. Uh, but yeah, I, I was up. I was with the movie up until the end. That's the thing is, I really wanted to like it. It was. It had the same thing with Smile, although it was a much the the ninety percent of Smile and the ninety percent of Vengeance. Uh, Vengeance was far superior, but uh, it was just that end, the last ten percent of the movie, that it just kind of lost me. But yeah, like I said, I think I think of everything in my top ten. That's probably the one we're gonna disagree with the most. That's okay. You you didn't you didn't you you almost put Till in your bottom ten, so that's yeah. fine. Uh, number three, right? Yeah, no, number four. Four, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see what what your take is on this one because I've seen people love it and I've seen some people hate it. Um, but unlike the uh, my other biopic, which was the worst film, I thought this one did it correctly, <laughs> and that was Elvis. I think you well, got it. It, well, see, yeah. Elvis, it was a shorter movie than Blonde. So that's My Elvis take is about as room temperature as you can get. I thought it was pretty good. I didn't think it was anything great. I didn't think it was anything terrible. I thought it looked cool. I loved the way the way they did like the transitions and stuff visually. Yeah. But I thought as a movie, it was just fine. I didn't think it was terrible, but it wasn't 
amazing yeah. to me. That's that's fair. But I, I think this did the biopic correct. And look, did Hollywood make up some stuff? Yes, of course. But I, I, I assume that going into any biopic. But this one, it did it how, to me, how you're supposed to do it. And Elvis, the movie was shorter, and Elvis Presley lived longer than Marilyn Monroe. So the <laughs> fact that, you know, it's, they made a shorter movie about a person who lived longer, I think is, it's like, it just shows you that, like, that's the correct way to do it. And you hit the high and the low notes of a person's life, and you tell the little complete stories. You tell multiple little stories throughout the person's life. And so I, I enjoyed that, and... I mean, the soundtrack. I, I mean, it's Elvis, so that's. Uh, I don't know. I was, I, I was raised in a house of a uh, big Elvis fan. My dad was a big Elvis fan, so I, I was worried that I was going to hate it, um, but I, I didn't. I know some people thought Tom Hanks looked ridiculous, like he's a big penguin. It's like maybe, but that's kind of how General, uh, General whatever Parker, whatever. That's kind of how he looked. So it's like he looked like. Penguin. So speaking of, but I think the, my only hesitation with the movie really is just that Walk Hard has kind of ruined so many musical biopics for me because I can't watch anything and not see the sort of elements of Walk Hard where it's like Dewey Cox has to think about his whole life before he plays, and it's like it's the wrong side of that. Like I don't know. I feel like every musical biography kind of feels like Walk Hard to me, especially anything like older, like the the Elvis, like the whole beginning part. Where he's discovering uh, like black like black music or whatever like through uh, through being like near what was it like the circus or whatever it was I forgot exactly but like that all just felt like it was like straight out of walk card I don't know yeah that that did happen though that was um like he was I, I did like a uh, report on him when I was in high school and that was one of the appeals of Elvis is that he quote sounded black and yeah. absolutely that was. I'm like, wow, they included that in the movie. That was impressive because I, I still remember that because I was given this book report in front of the class, and as soon as I said that, someone in the back was like, "He sounded black." I was like, "That's what I said," <laughs> and uh, everybody laughed. And I say, especially you figured that's like the the way it would have been described at the time too. Like, yeah, I mean, it was in the book, so I'm just reporting on it. What do you want? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was my four. So yeah, you're a number four. All right, my number four was one that I think you said is an honorable mention, maybe? I don't remember. Um, Wakanda Forever. Yes, that would be my 11th, I think. Yeah, so I loved it. I thought they had the chance to really kind of ruin it without Chad, uh, Chadwick Boseman. But I, obviously I don't wish that on anybody, especially just actors from movies. But I thought, when I, and I said it at the time, when I watched the first Black Panther movie, I thought Shuri was so much better of a character and more well-written and complicated than the actual T'Challa character, which to me was very boring and straightforward. And so I was all for Shuri taking over the Black Panther suit, even before Chadwick Boseman like, died or anything. So to see her get that role was great. And I thought the way that that movie dealt with, cause especially because it tied into the real life of them really losing him, but the way that that dealt with grief, I thought was fantastic. When she had the line about, uh, if I sit here long enough, it won't be these clothes I burn, it'll be the world and everything in it. I felt like that line was probably like one of the lines that hit me the hardest all year. Like I almost got emotional just even saying the line back, because it's like, I understand that feeling. I've had so much like loss the last couple of years and so much sort of like trauma in life. 
that it's like I understand that sort of rage at the world for like why is this happening to me and why can't I stop it and why can't anything kind of just go right and like I thought that whole movie was great I thought that the Namor character um, even if the way he got the name was a bit solo-ish yeah um, I didn't I thought that was kind of weak but but I like the idea that it's like no let's just team up and let's take down these people who like because I feel like that's, again, that's kind of a, the real-life uh, dichotomy that I feel like happens within, like, especially minority communities, too, where it's like, if if white people and, like, colonizers have done X, Y, and Z, it's like you want that revenge, but at the same time, you also do have to function within the same world. So how far can you really take it? What do you really want to do to get it? Right? And how do you kind of just deal with those feelings? I thought it was just a really well-done movie. Yeah, I like that they they were both you know, hidden worlds, Wakanda and Talakan, and they both survived on vibranium. They both had like their their protector, and one day one of the worlds just decides, "Hey, Earth, we've got all this stuff, and maybe we'll help you with it, and we're gonna work together." And then the other world was like, um, "We did not agree to this," and that's where it's like. When I think you said it, when you can make a villain that's like sympathetic, it's like Namor was right. Like they are going to start invading our world to steal it. Julie Louise Dreyfus straight up says it. So that like, is, that's the big. I feel like I've, I've always heard that, but it's such a true thing that like every villain should be justified in their own mind. Like every villain should be the hero of their story. Yeah, and like I feel like I have enough sense of that. It doesn't work. For me. He did a good job with Namor of showing that. I love the quick scene when they're touring uh, Talakon and like she sees like the people there and it's like oh there's a family and they have kids and it's like this yeah. is just like our one. this isn't some uh, horrible world where everybody's uh, mean and evil it's like no it's just an actual normal civilization but it was it was my movie going into the year that I was most worried about. But uh, they did a good job with it. I, I'd still be curious to see what the script was uh, with uh, with Chadwick Boseman, if, if they <laughs> did recast him. I had read, they said that, uh, I had heard that it was supposed to be more focused on his relationship with his son. And more of a, a father-son film originally. Which I think yeah. could have really been interesting. But, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, well, I, can, yeah. I can safely say they did a great job. I don't... I'd have to actually see what the other one would have even been like to say that they made the right decision or not. But, you know, it's too late now, so it's it's fine. But, but. I was going to say, the other thing that I really liked, too, with that was the idea that Namor was a god to his people. And, like, so when they were having the sort of conflict of, like, I really want to murder him, but then how much more chaos is it going to cause if I rile up all these people? <laughs> like, I thought that was an interesting angle. Well, number three, and uh, I think I... Might have spotted this in your top, maybe number one, but uh, so I won't too much spend too much time on it because you haven't mentioned it yet, and I'm pretty sure it will be in your top three. But it's uh, Clerks three. Oh yeah. So uh, I knew going in it was just gonna be funny, and I'm like, okay, it's a Fathom event, uh, which I don't know why Clerks is popular enough that it should be an actual movie. I don't know why it needs to be a Fathom event, but. But I paid out of pocket to see because it was a Fathom event, so it wasn't included in the Regal. Yeah, I just, it's like, come on, like, 
all these like so many so much movies that grossed less than this were not fathom events i don't understand that but whatever uh so going in i'm like okay it's gonna be funny and i'll have some laughs and yeah what i didn't know is i'd be leaving being like damn life crazy and like not that we can all relate to like having a best friend die but like tears during that the end oh my god i was like the funeral scene i was so choked up i was like (laughs) like almost fully sobbing in the theater it was so bad i won't say i cried but when he said when he looked at the coffin and said you're not supposed to be here my eyes did water i can't lie that line killed me and and it was so per like I've watched this scene back a million times, but I thought it was so perfectly done too with like his humor when he starts with like I'd like to quote The Departed, not the Scorsese movie. But <laughs> yes. um, and like just and the music to it too was like starting with the Black Parade and then uh having just having just breathe under the funeral scene I thought was like just the perfect pairing of a song for a scene that I feel like I've seen all year. And then ending it with I'm from Jersey, and it's like the same closing shot of, uh, you see Kevin Smith's daughter, I forget, in the movie she's Jason, uh, Jason Hughes' daughter, or Jay's, Jay's daughter. But when she's like sorting through all the milks uh, for the dates and stuff, I thought that was like a nice little touch. It was such fan service to anybody who liked the first two. But then... Just, I feel like that's a franchise that really grew with its audience, and that's a rarity for a lot of movies. And, yeah. like, to deal with feelings of life and, like, your own mortality and stuff like that, it's, uh, it hit hard. That, that was actually my number one. Yeah, and this was, the other thing I will say, first off, um, Caleb and I are tracking the, um, what's the word? Santa. When 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 Rotten Tomatoes, when the critics lose the pulse of the American audience, and this was one because it's like sixty some percent critics, ninety some percent fans. Yeah. Maybe you didn't think it was funny. It's not your humor. Fine, but like, I don't know how you can't appreciate the writing of it. And the one that uh, really related to me was when Dante, because uh, they reveal that Rosario Dawson's character Becky died um, in between movies. And he's just, like, coasting through life now. And he's just, like, I was... I think he said, like, I was so close to this this happy ending, and now it's nothing. And not that everyone can relate to exactly what he went through, but I think everyone can relate to having something like, yeah, this is how I saw my life going, and then something happened, and now it's not going that way. And, like, to me, that one was what... uh, kind of hit hard where it was like man he he's right and now he's just going through life just being stupid with his friend randall and it's like is that really what he wanted and it's clearly not but that's where he's at and uh yeah plus again you had all the humor which was great and the the fact they make fun of the nfts was (laughs) hilarious and (laughs) yeah it was it was genuinely hilarious too like i laughed through the whole movie it definitely had that same humor but then, yeah, I thought the acting and the, the emotional side of it was so great, too. Because even with just the, just the way that Randall had to sort of learn to stop being so self-centered and that, like, everything isn't about him. And, like, the line when he says that, like, you are always the star of the movie. It was like, that was like, I don't know. I thought the whole thing was just so perfectly written, so well done. Yeah. Well, you're, uh, you're number three, then. 
um, my number three, and I've actually, this is, I think, maybe the only movie on my list that I've rewatched in full. I just rewatched it again over the weekend. But uh, The Bad Shoes of Inishirin. This had no business being as good as it was. Because I'm not the type for, like, dry, dull movies. And this looked like it could have been very much that. Because it's all set on this island of Inishirin in Ireland. And it's just these two friends. It's Colin Farrell and it's, I forget the other guy, but the guy from in, Bru- in Bruges. Um, and the whole movie is just like, why don't you want to talk to me? Basically, like, why are we not friends anymore? And then there's like, you know, some some little side plots or stuff too. But the dialogue and the writing is so funny and so quotable. Like at one point when they uh, go to the store, there's like the shop in town or whatever, and uh, they're talking about the news of the week. And the policeman says something about, uh, you know, some, somebody killed somebody. I think a guy killed his wife or something. Or he, he stabbed her. And the one behind the counter goes, well, is she dead? And he's like, well, it wasn't a spoon she was stabbing him with. <laughs> it's like just little things like that all throughout the movie. And uh, I, I, I don't know. It's, I, I wish I could, like, go more in depth on it. But it's just the – it was, like, the funniest movie for for a movie that was just relying on dialogue, really. I mean, there's there's brutality in it. Like he does spoilers, but he does cut off the fingers. But it's really relying on the dialogue, and I thought it was just like one of the funnier movies this year. Well, my number two. I think you're gonna just say this movie was okay. I don't think you're gonna have a strong opinion on. it. I think it'll be like Elvis for you, but that's that's okay. What was your number three? Clerks three. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I think you'll just say this was fine. But I really enjoyed it. And some people have asked me, because I, I set out to see 40 movies in theater. And some people have asked, did you, you know, how many of these movies did you force yourself to see just to get your, your number up? And there were a few. Uh, Till was one of them, but I ended up really liking it. Bros was one, which I did not like. But, yeah, there was definitely a few that I went and saw that I probably wouldn't have seen otherwise. And uh, some that's good, some it's not so good, but in this case, I was even debating if I even wanted to see this one, and eventually I did, and I'm glad I did, because it's my number two movie of the year, and much like Till, the acting to me was really what did it, and that was Woman King. I really loved it. I... And and I know how this is going to sound from a white guy, but I appreciated the historical accuracy of it in that a lot of the people that partook in the slave trade were other Africans. And I'm not saying, like, see, not all white people. I'm, I'm saying it because I appreciate that they got something in history that was correct. And I, I just like that because we see history get altered all the time, like JFK raping Marilyn Monroe. But... <laughs> In this case, I uh, I thought it was a great movie. I looked it up. The story is all fake, but the tribe was real. So I've heard, uh, I've, I've heard that the tribe was actually a lot more brutal than they showed in the movie. And yeah, I, they kept it PG-13. But... The tribe was more... Um, I don't know how sure this is. I heard somebody talking about it on the radio. But supposedly the tribe was more um, almost predatory than they seemed in the movie, like where the movie seemed like they were all like, defensive. It seems like they were a little bit more like on the offense and sort of 
taking it to the other tribe more than the movie showed. But I don't know if that's 100% true or not. It could be. Uh, but yeah, like, and and for a movie that doesn't have any real special effects, I thought the action was actually really good. I thought the fight scenes were really good. And I thought the big uh, reveal that Viola Davis had a daughter, I thought that was actually pretty well done. And the way she stuck the tooth in her, it's like, I, I mean, yeah, I buy that. That might, I don't know if the tooth would still be there after 20 years, but yeah, maybe it would. I don't know. I don't know enough about anatomy, but sure, I'll buy that. So, yeah, I, I really, uh, really liked it. And uh, like I said, the action was what did it for me. I was actually coming out of Clerks 3 when there was a family that was coming out of Woman King and one of the ushers asked how they liked it and he's like, oh, it was excellent. And I was like, you know, I've been debating if I want to see this or not. Just this random guy saying it was excellent. <laughs> I'm like, eh, sure, why not? And it had really high marks on Rotten Tomatoes and uh, ended up being, yeah, the number two movie of the year. So Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was good. Like you said, I'm not... It wasn't in my top ten, but I thought it was, a, it was a solid movie for sure. And I spoiled you number one, but you can gush on it some more if you'd like. Or no, number two. I keep I, forgetting what order we're on. I said it was Clerks 3, but actually my number two is a movie that really... My number two and my number one could could waffle. Because um, they were without a doubt my two favorite movies this year. And this one I saw in a lot of people's top five and a lot of people's number one. I think I know. It was my number one until I saw Clerks 3. And even now, even now, I debate on if I want to put it. So I've been watching, so I've been rewatching the end of Clerks Three. I've been rewatching the funeral scene a lot. I rewatched Banshees in full this weekend, and I've been rewatching certain scenes from this a lot lately too. And there's a lot more emotional parts that I almost remember and having even. And that's everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, the, my quickest summary for it is: it's the only movie I've ever seen that can have a dildo fight. And move me to tears. And for a movie to have both, I feel like, is just incredible. And like I said, this could have easily been my number one. I ended up slotting in a number two. But it's really a one one. See, I I liked it. I would probably put it around fifteen or so, sixteen. My my issue, and I know a lot of people like this, it's to me where it missed was it's trying to, um, like it was, it was trying to be serious, and then it would just be like, here's a dildo fight, and then it would be like, oh, here's an an, an infinite amount of universes, here's one where uh, the character Evelyn and then the Jamie Lee Curtis character uh, end up in a relationship. It's like, okay, in infinite amount of universes, I guess that's possible. And then it's like, oh, but look, they also have hot dog fingers. It's like, okay, that's funny. And then it's like, let's go back to the hot dog finger people. And it's like, oh, but look, now they're arguing and they're having like this this dispute and it's really sad. And it's like, no, movie, stop. They have hot dog fingers. I cannot take this seriously at all. Like, get 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 the hot dog finger people away. Like, I cannot take this seriously. It's funny once as a sight gag, but then, like, it'd be like when uh, in the in Doctor Strange multiverse. If they went to the paint universe, where they were quickly turned to like paint, and then they just kept going back to that, and it's like, okay, I get it. It's a sight gag. We, I don't need these characters to be taken seriously. Uh, but that kind of annoyed me at times. But the concept, uh, you know, whether this came first or Marvel came first, who cares? But the concept uh, was really well done. 
Better done better than uh, Doctor Strange, I will say. A hundred percent better than Doctor Strange. I like the idea that there's logic to it too, where it's like you jump between these universes to get different skills, and like there's almost more rhyme and reason to it than like Doctor Strange was like there's just a million different universes and they all exist at the same time. Like I like that this had a more sort of defined like purpose to things. Um, but I also again I I'm big on movies that resonate with me for whatever reason and. I've said it before, my number one qualification for a good movie is, like, does it make me cry? And this, I think, did it because, like, between her relationship issues with her husband, her issue of, like, feeling like a failure to her parent, or to her dad, and then her issues with her daughter, like, just being the parent, and I thought all of, like, that's obviously all elements that I have in my life, really. And, like, I thought it was all handled really well, and just the thing about like uh there's certain lines too where it's like when the husband says something like um in another universe i would have really liked just doing laundry and taxes with you um i feel like stuff like that again resonates because it's like i have i have the tattoo of the quote from up where it's uh you really joked about it earlier but i think the boring <laughs> stuff is the stuff i remember the most and i feel like that is so it's true. really more of a raw joke but yes yeah but um, I feel like that is so true just in life. It's like, obviously, we all like we all anticipate the big moments and the big things are what we live for. But like that sort of little like middle of the day, like the thing that you don't think about at the time. And that kind of like is was ultimately what the theme ended up being with This Is Us, which is like one of the only shows that I watched this year. And it sucked that that ended. But, like, that's kind of the ultimate theme. It's, like, ultimately what you're going to remember in life, like, you're going to remember the big moments, but so much of what you love about people comes in those sort of small, menial, like, times that you don't really think about. And I thought that movie did such a good job of that. And, like, also just accept people for who they are. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not the end of the world if somebody isn't living up to your expectations or isn't doing exactly what you thought they should do or whatever. Yeah, I purposely did not mention it as an honorable mention because I didn't want to spoil that it. it wasn't on my list, even though it's on like everyone else's. And I, it is an honorable mention, and I, I wanted to like it more, but to me, it just it went back and forth from the serious to the comedy too much. And yeah. it's like that was one of my big complaints with uh, Thor: Love and Thunder. And it's like I can't criticize Thor: Love and Thunder and then be yeah. like, but everything everywhere did it perfectly. It's like they both to me were on the the same, like, okay, too much comedy. You so know. I, I like Thor, Thor, Love and Thunder. The only thing that kind of killed that movie for me was the ending, where I thought it was a little, like, too hokey. But yeah. I liked Thor and Thunder overall. I thought, like... No, I did, too. It's, you know... And I liked uh, YTT, so that was, like, a big thing. But for yeah, me, I, with everything everywhere all at once, what I really loved about it, too, is, like... I feel like so much of life is also that, too, where it's, uh... Like, in real life, I feel like there aren't, you know, like, well, so many movies are like, this movie is a comedy, or this movie is a tragedy. Like, I feel like that was the common thread with Everything Everywhere at Once and Clerks 3, was, like, life can be both, and can switch between the two at literally any given moment. So, like, in the same day, you can be laughing your head off, and then also want to kill somebody, or, like, wish you were dead. I feel like those sort of emotions can vary, like, just within the course of a day, like, so it's not to me like unreasonable that you can have like stupid like oh we're gonna be romantic with with sausage fingers and then the next scene is like you have this very emotional like sort of heartfelt like 
pouring of uh, all your grievances like at the same time. I don't know. I like I like movies that kind of deal with that sort of the nuance of life and the way that life isn't this sort of pretty black and white like straight line. Yeah, I because I, I wanted to like it more. To me, like to go back to Thor, uh, the one that really the 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 sausage finger moment for me for Thor was when he's telling all these kids who've been kidnapped. Uh, you know, it's everything's gonna be okay, and then like the the two girls are messing with them and like blowing in his hair or whatever. And it's like if you were trying to like comfort these hostages, maybe don't. Maybe now's not the time for some humor. And yeah, uh, to me that's what the sausage thing. It's like okay, enough. This this is not as funny as you think it is, movie. But I don't know. I guess I'm in the minority, but that's okay. But yeah, it was like, just such a weird. Like I said, it was just such a weird concept of a movie too. That like. Nothing about it makes sense when you, like, hear it, I feel like, talked about. And then when you see it playing out, you're like, no, this movie makes total sense. Like, yeah, no, I didn't have a problem with it not making sense. I know some people said it didn't, but that wasn't an issue for me. So, my number one, you've already covered it. It's uh, Top Gun Maverick. I'm just going to be the uh, American patriot here and just go with it. Uh, <laughs> action was great. Um the, when that when they when the movie started off with uh, Highway to the Danger Zone, I'm like, okay, this is we're good. I'm I'm this will be in the top ten, I'm sure. Just don't know where. And it was, uh, yeah, I I I loved uh, Miles Teller in it. Uh, we had Glenn Powell in his yeah, he, other, he, his other plane movie this year. He, and then the story was pretty much straightforward. And I even loved the stupid debate because we can't not debate online. Of people like, well, the, this movie was xenophobic because it was uh, it, it, the villains were clearly the Middle Eastern. It's like, no, it clearly they it was whoever you wanted to be. Like, yeah. uh And honestly, it's it's <laughs> probably <laughs> Russia. Let's be honest. It was xenophobia and stuff. And yeah. I feel like to to such a large degree, the line has shifted so much. Where it was like, I totally understood when it was like every main character was a white guy, every villain was a foreign villain. And, like, I understood why that was a problem, but I feel like now it's become almost the other way where it's, like, you got you have to pretend that there are no foreign villains, where it's, like, no, those still exist. Like, they may not be, like, there are white villains, too, for sure. There are American villains. Like, there are villains from, every, like, I don't want to sound like Trump, where it's, like, there are good people on both sides. But, like, <laughs> it kind of is how life is. Like, nothing is black and white. Like, you're not xenophobic just because you are depicting another as potentially the bad guy. Like, Yeah, and if you think about well, okay, so the villains in this movie, not that I'm going to try to tell you who it was because it's purposely left blank, but it was the country is off the coast of an ocean, we know, because the uh, the cruise ships shoot the missiles at them. And there, we know it's there's snow, and then there's mountains, so that could be Russia. That could be, could be the Middle East, but I don't know if a cruise missile could, maybe. Uh, it could be North Korea too. Could even be China. It could be whoever you want it to be. That's the point. Uh, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly who they even alluded to it being. I just remember it being like I want to say it felt Middle Eastern to me at the time because I feel like I remember it being very like deserty sort of mountains almost. But I could be. Yeah, told- I mean, there's a lot of snow and it does snow in the Middle East, but you don't really associate snow with it. You associate with like hot as hell. So. Um, I kind of always took it as just Russia, and then I didn't. I left the theater like, okay, it was Russia, and then like the big debate what? erupts online. And still, Top Gun Russia too wasn't the original Top Gun like Cold War uh, almost. 
Yeah, I, I don't think they named the villains in that, maybe. Uh, but I know the they would show the fighter pilots of the other team, or the I other just, villains, it, and they had like the red star it, on their helmet, which would lead you to think Russia. Was Russian villains, basically. Yeah, it could be, like I said, it could also be North Korea. Like, yeah. And, and again, it's like, is it, who, who's who's defending Kim Jong-un? Like, that's fine. He if, if he died, that'd be fine. I don't care. So it's not xenophobic. He's just a terrible person. So. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun. And, uh, I have my list of, uh, we already talked, you know, Clerks 3, unless you had anything else to add, but. No, the only thing I was going to ask before we close out is, uh, what about movies for 2023? Is there anything you're really anticipating? Anything you think is going to really be a flop or. Yes. I've compiled my top 10 list of anticipated movies. This is based on release date. So this is, there's no order to this. It's like, I'm. I'm I'm not anticipating one movie more than another. This is just my ten most sorted by released first to last, and I'm honestly thinking that my last one might get delayed. Just a gut feeling, but uh, so I only have four that like I didn't make a formal list, but there's only four that sort of come to mind off the top of my head. But I'm sure all or most of them are going to be on your list, so. I will say honorable mention, uh, knock at the cabin with Batista. Uh, that, that, I, was, that was one of my four. Cause I, I actually like, I thought old was pretty good. I feel like nobody talked about it when it came out, but I actually kind of liked old. I thought it was a better M. Night Shyamalan movie. And I'm, I'm just, I'm always interested with his movies and what the twist is going to be. And I like Batista. So. I, I left it off just because it could be bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it can absolutely. I'll say with M. Night Shyamalan movies, it's either going to be, I feel like, if not great, it's going to either be really fun or really terrible. But but it's like the trailer. You got um, this gay couple who has adopted what appears to be an Asian baby or daughter, and they're out in the woods. They're just having a vacation, and then Batista and his two weird friends bust in. And they're like, "We have to make it an important decision to stop the end of the world." <laughs> like, what could that be? I don't know. I'm interested, but it could also be a really bad payoff. Yeah, <laughs> well, I hope not. It's, I hope it's not the plants did it. Have you seen the more recent? They have a slightly extended trailer they released not too long ago, where it shows like they turn on the TV and show like this huge like tsunami tidal wave type thing taking out like a whole city. It looks like. I guess I haven't. Okay, well that's that's one of the newer trailers for it. So. All right. Well, that'd be my honorable mention. Uh, so ten again. This is based on release date. Is uh, Ant Man and Wasp: Quantum Mania. I'll get to the Marvel movies in a second because I have get a, a, I mean, a small rant. Too for me that one is hard because it's I haven't seen the original. Uh, I, haven't, well, I haven't seen either Ant Man. Right, there's been two so far. I think you would really love them. But uh, I probably I'm sure I would. But to me, Quantum Media is going to be interesting because I love the idea that it's going to introduce Kang more properly because I like Loki. But I thought. The Marvel movies on a whole the last year, outside of my head, so disappointed that they could really fall flat. But I'm hoping with it being more of a proper introduction to Kang, and the way that I like Loki, that it'll it'll uh, not the expectations. Yeah, and this one I know is going to be on your list is uh, number nine, Cocaine Bear. Oh yeah, I am so <laughs> this looks like I said Moonfall was like the most brilliant movie last year. Cocaine Bear is absolutely in my top for, like, 
It's I know it's not going to be a good movie. It's not going to be a movie that's going to like make me cry, or at least like who the hell knows? Yeah, I feel like you never know. If they do a good enough job of like getting me attached to this bear who's inevitably going to die. Um, maybe maybe it will. But if it, how can you not have fun with a movie about a bear on cocaine? It seems like the most ridiculous concept, and it, it can't not be good. I just I want it to be like Violent Night. I yeah. think it could be this year's Violent Night, and I know you've said you wanted to see it because it looks atrocious, but like, I don't want it to be Megan, where it's like, Megan can be so bad it's good, I yeah. want Cocaine Bear to actually be good. I don't I don't see it actually being good, I see it being so bad it's good, but what I think could hurt it is if they try to go, like, if the sort of trailers are deceptive, and if they try to go more grounded with it because it is based to some degree on a true story um i know obviously it's cocaine bear they're obviously gonna inflate things but like i don't want them to go i don't want them to try to get too emotional with it i almost want them to just be over the top and like yeah i want it to be violent night basically uh so number eight of uh creed three another jonathan majors movie why i think if devotion were this year he would have two movies that everybody would see and he'd be like, okay. But uh, number seven, John Wick chapter four. The trailer for Creed three kind of like throws me off. Cause I feel like the trailer doesn't look that good, but then hearing that Stallone pulled out because he felt like it was taking a darker turn. Um, was what kind of has me more interested in the movie than anything in the trailers. Cause the trailer looks like, it's like kind of interesting where it's like, Oh, it was this guy that he grew up with who, uh, kind of took the fall when for stuff that he was also involved in or whatever. But I want to see why Stallone left, because to me it almost doesn't seem like it's enough, based on the trailers. But like, why he want, I want to see, like, how dark, like, how dark does Creed himself get, like, in this movie, and what happens? Like, that's what I really want to see. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it's strong enough to be carried without Stallone in the franchise, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, number seven, John Wick, chapter four. I forgot about that. that that'll be an interesting one. Uh, number six, Super Mario Brothers movie on my birthday. Fantastic. Because, again, it's either going to be really terrible or it's going to be actually good. But either way, it seems like it'll be so, it'll be something to talk about regardless. And I feel like that's my number, like, that's my almost number one thing to watch a movie is, like, just give me something to talk about. This is my bullet train this year. This is the one I'm looking forward to the most. I just want it to be everything that I want it to be. And I think it's going to be that. And it better because it's... I'm seeing it on my birthday, and don't ruin my birthday like COVID did. You know, I just got carry out with Italian food. Um, number five, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, the final James Gunn Marvel movie. That, that I'm already anticipating that's going to be my number one for the year. Because is it Gunn's official MCU send off too, or no? Is he doing any other MCU stuff after that? Um, it probably will be unless. I mean, I don't know. I'm guessing his contract might forbid him from helping out. Um, as is possible, he could help out with Secret Wars because they might use Guardians in that. But that's going to have like literally every character, so who knows? But I was going to say because the uh, the last two years, my number one movie was a trilogy movie both years, and last year was No Way Home, and this year it was Clerks Three, and I feel like. Uh, Guardians Volume 1, I feel like, made me tear up a little bit. Guardians Volume 2, when they do the, uh, like, the Viking funeral for, um, I don't know why I'm blanking on his name right now, but the Viking funeral for the blue guy, 
Like that made me tear up so bad with like father and son playing and stuff. Yeah, beyond do. Yeah. So I'm anticipating volume three is my most anticipated movie for this year. I'm really excited for it. If that doesn't end up in my top five at least next year, if not number one, I'm gonna be uh, it's gonna be a pretty bad year for movies. Well, number four, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Looking forward that's, to that one. That's another one that should be fantastic because I thought uh what was the first one was Into the Spider Verse, right? Or Yeah. That was yeah. way better than I thought it was going to be. I thought that was I mean, it's the second best Spider Man movie. It may even be better than No Way Home, but it came out in a different year. Um but to me that's a top five superhero movie ever for me. I thought the way and I'm not somebody who usually likes animated movies that aren't Disney, but I thought that was really, really well done. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, number three, Transformers Rise of the Beasts. As a big Beast Wars mark, I'm in agreement with that. I used to wake up early and I'd watch the uh, – yep. I'd watch my mom would videotape like the last hour of Raw for me. And I'd wake up in the morning and I'd watch like Beast Wars and then like the last hour of Raw before school in the morning. Oh, yeah, I watched Beast Wars before school. I will say uh, – I don't think people realize that the franchise has been rebooted with, uh, uh, I think they think Bumblebee's like another Michael Bay movie. It is not. It's yeah, completely because different. Because I was people in this case. I didn't realize. I thought it was kind of just a continuation. I didn't realize they were rebooting things. Yeah, and they didn't do a great job at marketing it that way. But I I, I loved Transformers. I, I rewatched it during covid it's still cool. Doesn't really hold up as far as the plot. Like they'll just introduce new characters, and it's like I don't know who this is, but sure, it's just yeah. to sell toys. I get it. Um, whereas Beast Wars, I also rewatched during COVID. It it actually, I mean, the animation doesn't hold up because I mean it was cool at the time, but it's very early, uh, early CGI. Yeah, but uh, the storylines are still really good, and it's it's a coherent story. So. The characters looking cool to me as a kid. I remember the idea of like it's a robot ape it was like really cool. <laughs> yeah, and I I I want Megatron with the big dinosaur head as a hand. I loved that. That was I had that toy and uh, it was great. It's a great look for a villain to have a giant T Rex hand. <laughs> uh, number two, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I think they'll get this one right because Crystal Skull was so bad, but this will be the big send off that'll. Make everybody happy, and they'll probably have a spinoff with the new character they'll introduce because you know original ideas and all that. I was gonna say, um, I that's another franchise where I've actually I've never seen an Indiana Jones movie in full. Yeah, I like. I mean, I like them. Uh, the, the most recent, you know, um, Crystal Skull. I've seen bits of. It's stupid. So right. I think they just want to get it right. Is probably it, and then also make money. And then number one, I just have a feeling this is going to get pushed back. I don't know why, I just do. I think because it's not even an official release date, but it's, as of now, December 20th, 2023, Ghostbusters Afterlife 2. We'll see. But I, I loved the the first Afterlife, so. But, yeah, I don't know much more about it beyond that. Um, the one thing I did want to say is, um, like I said, I threw out all the DC movies because it's like they're not going to be building on anything, so whatever. And I mentioned this with uh, with Caleb in the Casino Royale thing when we talked about movies we were looking forward to. I'm really hoping Marvel can recapture the 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 magic, I guess, of phases one through three, just because phase four there were some great movies in phase four, but I think when you add it all up, it just was a 
they didn't really build anything. It's like they introduced the multiverse, which is fine, but like they didn't need all these movies to do it. And the analogy that I used, well, well, actually, before I say that, they, you know, it's like okay, we we don't have Captain America anymore. We don't have Iron Man. Uh, Spider Man is back to Sony, so he's kind of on the shelf for now. So may we interest you in Shang-Chi and Eternals and Miss Marvel. Like, Miss Marvel... The Marvels did not make my list. I'll, I'll see it. Captain Marvel was a huge hit for, for Disney. Uh, but I th- I'm wondering if it helped... If it rode the wave of Endgame, maybe. But Miss Marvel was not highly streamed on Disney+. Plus. I liked it overall, but it wasn't, like, go out and see it type great. Um, but I think the problem with with Disney in phase four, and this includes the TV shows is two problems. Number one, and this was the analogy I used when Hulk Hogan left WWF, Vince McMahon was like, well, that's fine. We'll just slap American flag on Lex Luger and boom, done. And it's like, well, we'll just, we'll give the Falcon, the Captain America shield. Boom, done. We'll take Riri Williams and, there, you want someone in an iron suit? There, she's in an iron suit. Boom, done. It's like, uh, not the same. Yeah. Not quite. Because, yeah. like, Steve Rogers has been around since World War II. Like, yeah. not just the character, but, like, the comic. There's, They came out during World War II as American propaganda. Good propaganda, but propaganda. Yeah. Uh, and Iron Man came out, you know, a couple decades after. It's like Tony Stark and Steve Rogers are, like, iconic characters that people know who like your grandparents may have read and you can't just be like oh there's someone different now and look you want a person in an iron suit what more do you want like there they are and it's like eh, not the same I and think, i think another problem that they've had with this phase is i think once you introduce the multiverse it kind of makes it where it's like nothing really feels consequential and so it's hard to kind of get that same investment of like I mean, we knew at the end of uh, at the end of Infinity War that it wasn't going to be like that. We weren't losing all these characters forever, but at least there was some question of like, okay, but are we going to lose any of these characters forever? And now with the introduction of the multiverse, it feels like they can literally bring anybody back at any point, and it doesn't matter at all. And so that's going to make it hard, I feel like, to have the same investment, and also just with the, how ambitious I feel like Endgame was, and how many characters they they had and how much the story interacted. It's like that was so unique and like the first of its kind. And you can't really like recapture that. So yeah. No, I don't think be hard to, we'll see. I mean, Kang's going to have is big, you know, Thanos was a big villain and he's got Kang has some big shoes to fill, but they finally have at least have an end goal, which is Kang. Of course, I think I, I meant, I mean, look, I liked Shang-Chi Eternals was meh. And uh, we don't know about, the Marvel, uh, you know, Miss Marvel, the show was fine, but you can't just, like I said, you killed off your top three draws, and then it's like, may we interest you in Shang-Chi, the person no one's ever heard of, and the Eternals, who no one's ever really heard of. I think this would have been the phase to do Deadpool and Wolverine, because it's like, Wolverine's a big star. Fantastic Four, they're big stars. And instead, it's like, no, we're just going to... We're just going to slap Marvel on anything, and people will go see it. And it's like, eh. I think, they do, but not to the extent that they used to. I think before Secret Wars and stuff, we'll get, and maybe even Kang Dynasty, I'm not sure which which coming out first. But I had seen something like last week that uh, 
apparently the next Deadpool movie is going to be that he's using Cable's power to sort of travel through time to save Logan, and that apparently that's going to get them on the radar of the TVA. And so I guess that'll kind of be their introduction into the MCU then. And yeah, and that's that's, that's fine. Because um, I loved I loved the Deadpool movies. Outside like the Guardians are probably my number one superhero franchise, but Deadpool has been a solid number two for me. Yeah, and that I mean, and look, they're on their way. I get it, but uh, maybe you should have come out sooner, just because, like I said, it's hard to replace a Captain America and an Iron Man. But it's like Wolverine could have done that, but instead it's like. Oh, here's Shang-Chi, and no one knows who Shang-Chi is. I'm sorry. And then the TV shows were all mostly kind of mid. I liked Loki. WandaVision was pretty good, but the rest were, eh. Yeah, that's the problem. I feel like they kind of like shot their load, for lack of a better term, with like their best their best TV shows were kind of like the first two for me. Like it was, yeah, it was uh, WandaVision and Loki to me were the two best ones they did. And even Loki kind of took a little while and then picked up at the end. Like, I wasn't liking Loki at first, but then it turned around for me. But I feel like those are the only two that I really kind of hooked me. Yeah, but even then, I mean, we got another, you know, basically two years until we get the the Deadpool and Fantastic Four, because I think they're more towards the end of 2024, I think. But we'll see. I know they're building now towards uh, the big thing is uh, Thunderbolts, which they're really building towards, which we'll see, but... No one really knows who the Thunderbolts are, so I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, overall, uh, it was a very good year for movies. I will definitely not be trying to see 52 movies this year. That was just a one-time deal. I don't know if I'm going to – I'm not going to force 100. Like, last year I was set on I'm going to force 100 because a couple of years ago I had a movie pass when that was still a thing, but at the time I was with Jen, and so I didn't get enough time to myself to go see movies. Um, then we got Regal Unlimited the summer of 2019 when that first launched. And then by March of that 2020, the whole world shut down. So I missed like almost a whole year of using that. But I still got to 92 last year. This year I had it set in my mind, or in 2022 I had it set in my mind, where I was like, I'm going to hit 100, but I went beyond that to hit the 123. This year, I don't plan on forcing it the same way. I feel like, for my own financial like sense, I'm going to have to still see probably close to 100 because I'm paying for the Unlimited. I want to get at least a movie or two every week. But we'll see what happens. There's a lot of interesting-looking stuff on the docket. It starts off pretty rough because I am not looking forward to Megan at all. And A Man Called Otto looks like it uh, is going to probably be a bit of a flop, too. And I'm somebody who likes overly emotional movies. But I know those are the two that are releasing this week. So those will probably be first up on my docket. And we'll see from there. Well, it's funny you mentioned uh, with the COVID year. I'm trying to find... <laughs> I even did a top ten list for 2020 as far so as movies. Not, so did I, but at the time, in 2020, I think I had only seen... I mean, it's still kind of a lot. But I think in 2020, I had like maybe seen like 30 movies total and like half of them were streaming, so... Yeah, just for laughs, here's my top ten for 2020. It's uh, very limited options, but uh, number and uh, even looking at it, I'm like I would rearrange several of these. But this is what I thought at the time. I had uh, Birds of Prey, Bill and Ted Face the Music, Sonic the Hedgehog, Wonder Woman 84, Onward, Tenant, Bad Boys for Life, Let Him Go, News of the World in 1917. <laughs> uh, my top ten for 2020 were. 
Coffee and Kareem, The King of Staten Island, The Five Bloods, which I think The Five Bloods holds up, Borat's subsequent movie film, Bad Boys for Life, Onward, <laughs> Fall of the Wild, The Way Back, which I think was actually pretty good, Hamilton, which is like, I feel like not really a movie because it was a film, like it was the, the Broadway show that they just filmed, and then Wendy, which I stand by Wendy was really good and people should have watched it. But that was my 2020 list, which was not great. Yeah, no, it was... Uh, and in this year... Limited, so what can you say? In this year, most of that top 10 wouldn't have even made my top 50, probably. But, like, yeah, COVID kind of caused all that to shut down. Yep, yep. And uh, so, yeah, I think that uh, I think that about wraps it up. We, I guess we'll, uh, we'll do this again next year. And so I'll probably uh, we'll be back on the show before next year, but maybe we'll see. There's enough superhero stuff coming out this year that maybe I'll join you at some point. Well, I'll tell you what. Once we start hitting real time, where the only way to watch the movie is in the theater, I guess we'll we'll have to have you on because, uh, you know, I will have seen everything. Yeah, <laughs> we're all. That's the only way to see it. It's not going to be on streaming yet. So there you go. Right. Good talking again. Yeah, for sure. Um, actually, let me. I have my list is in. Oh no, wait, never mind. Never mind. Forget I said anything. Okay, so yeah, that uh, that does it. Oh, I didn't even do any of the plugs. How silly of me. Uh, Eddie C eighty five is me on Twitter. E D D Y C eight five. Or you can follow uh, our page at uh, E C underscore hero and uh, Instagram is. Oh, uh, I believe the same deal. EC Hero Cast on Instagram. So, and then John is Jorge Blanco on Twitter. Jorge with an H, H O R H A Y Blanco. And uh, I also write weekly wrestling columns for, uh, or not really columns. I write weekly power rankings that are really just glorified, like detailed reviews of uh, currently just AEW Rampage every week, but it was Rampage at NXT UK when that was around. But you could find those at reviewfix.com. All right, so, uh, and then uh, Caleb's not here, so he doesn't get a plug. Sorry. He, qu- he quote, said, I abstain. <laughs> he just didn't see enough movies, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Oklahoma doesn't really have much to see, so I guess that, That's, that is true. All right, uh, so let me, oh, man, we supposed to go out with a quote. Jeez. Um, trying to think of a quote from any of these movies. Uh, let's see. I, oh. You know what? I have to I have to do this one. <clears throat> I'm not even supposed to be here today 